Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Borak, my bear companion, my main man, Happy New Year's. You know, that's a very astute observation. 2019 was particularly interesting. Not just for real life, but magic as well. And I think the thing that I really took away from it is that sometimes magic is willing to not take itself so seriously. Really? Okay then, Mr. Comedy Pants. Why don't you tell me a joke? I don't know. What is a bear's favorite type of pastry? A blueberry pie? Barack, your jokes are getting quite grisly. Do you know that? Also, are pies technically pastries? Greetings all you planeswalkers and spellcasters from all over the multiverse. It is wonderful to see that you have walked this way to the Unlucky Lounge in historic Monoscrew Manor for another episode of Draft and Draft. My name is Corey, your limited lore master and master of this here local establishment, and if I may start, I'd like to wish all of you out there a happy New Year's. Here comes 2020 down the line, a year that's sure to bring exciting changes and who knows from all over the different parts of our magic sphere. But I'm not alone. No, today I have joining with us the best in the business, more than a two two for two, and if I may, quite a good man at the back of your bar. He's our very own bear tender, Borok. Borok, how are we feeling at the start of this 2020? And I will take that praise for my good Barbara Walters impression. Thank you very much. Now, today, we're going to get a little bit baffling, a little bit enigmatic, maybe inexplicable, or one might say mysterious. That's right, friends, we're going to delve into looking at some of those really diverse and unique playtest cards that came out of the Mystery Booster Packs Convention Edition. Now, these cards have such a deep and rich history, and I think that it deserves a second look, not only for those planning to go out to any kind of magic fest, but also because they unlock some really great historical precedents in the way that these cards were designed. So today, we're going to take a look at these really cool Mystery Booster Playtest cards. But you might have heard me say, we... That's right, friends. It's not just going to be me and Borak on this episode. No, I've in fact invited two of my favorite planeswalking friends to join me here in the Unlucky Lounge to take a deep look at some of these particularly pensive Mystery Booster cards. Did you see what I did there? Particularly pensive? It's another synonym of mysterious. Yes, folks, I am that good gold star Shakespearean level wordsmithing. Just saying. But first, a little bit of housekeeping with my very own Sorcerer's Broom. Housekeeping number one, this podcast is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out at Believe.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, 
find us on social media. I'm Draft and Draft Corey on Twitter, or you can look us up at our Patreon, Draft and Draft, an MTG podcast. Housekeeping complete, let's get back to the topic at hand, and those are the fantastically flavored Mystery Booster Playtest cards. To do that, we are going to go back to a place known as the Featured Match Table, a private place for good conversation, contemplation, and just having a good old-fashioned chat. So let's head on back with my guests for this week and get our topic of conversation underway. Well, welcome everyone back here in the feature table in the Unlucky Lounge here in historic Monascrew Manor, where today we're talking about a topic that's a little bit, one might say, mysterious. A little wacky, a little zany, but I can't tackle this topic alone. No, I'm joined by two of my favorite planeswalkers in this episode. First, he is a former level two magic judge, party host, and a guy who can outdrink me nearly any day of the week. It's Mr. Jesse Abrahamson. Jesse, good to have you on the show. Hi, hi, Corey. It's good to be here. I always appreciate how you bring your inner pirate out. I love bringing out the pirate. As long as you keep the scurvy to yourself. Also joining us this week is another local friend of mine. Uh, We went to LGS's together. He's a pro tour player. He's a master of moto and always the last to arrive to any get together. You have that friend in your group. Is Mr. Jason Scuzbo? Jason, good to have you. Thanks, Corey. (laughs) You're welcome. I just I just wanted to interject real quick, like. You you say he's bringing his inner pirate, but I don't know why he had to come in the full fully-fledged pirate outfit? That didn't seem necessary. I just got back from Ixalan, okay? That, and when in Ixalan, you gotta do like the Ixalanians. Wait. Fair. Are they are they Ixalanians, or would they be like Ixosotans? I don't know. I do not know my intergalactic uh, languages well enough to speak on this topic. Well, first let me start with the question, guys. I would like to know how are your personal feelings on a chaos draft. It's something that uh, people often do when you get to later sets of a format. It's when you go and get three random packs of magic, open them up, and you create a draft deck in the same drafting kind of way. Jesse, how do you feel about any random draft, uh, chaos draft? Uh, they're fine. I find they tend to like really fall into the bread category. You know, you just gotta take your bombs and your removal. You ba- Back to basics, there's nothing fancy about them. There's no fun intricacies to really find, but sometimes a little bit of interesting things, but yeah, for the most part, it's just like a draft. No, I, I agree with that. I would often try to pick up packs if given the choice that kind of have some mechanical overlay, but that doesn't mean that everyone else would do that. They would just pick some random booster pack that only has eight cards and make me want to cry. Uh, Jason, how do you feel about gas drafts? Um, well, I agree with everything Jesse said. Strategically, they're not they're not really all that all that interesting um but i think there's something to be said for just like it feels like the way it originally felt to play magic when the when the, when the game first came out it's just like it has that kind of like you have no idea what you're gonna get and i don't know i there's something that's appealing to me about that i actually i actually do enjoy chaos drafts the spontaneity is nice yeah it's just you really have to think on your toes there's no there's no there's no like uh, framework or something of kind of like okay this is a pick order or anything like that like you really just need to to just kind of like fly by the seat of your pants and I think that it's a lot of fun yeah, and I agree but, I think a, a chaos draft every once in a while feels really good 
I wouldn't want yeah. to go five weeks in a row at my Friday Night Magic. Of program. course, yeah. It's kind of like a chocolate cake. Is like kind of the analogy I'm thinking can, of. Can you please like, explain this chocolate cake analogy? So my mother is a wonderful woman, and every year for our birthday, she would bake a chocolate cake from scratch. Would you like to give your mom a shout out and right now? I would. And my mom's chocolate cake is spectacular, uh, but we only got it on our birthdays. And you know, that was good, because you don't want to eat chocolate cake every day. Well, no matter what your feelings are about Chaos Draft, the thing is, it's going to be very much a part of our magic playing lives very soon. Wizards of the Coast just came out with this product known as the Mystery Booster. It is showing up in conventions all over the place, magic fests as they're known now, and we are going to be getting it very soon inside of all of our local game stores. Now, while we're going to be missing a bit of a key part of the mystery booster, we're actually going to be looking at that missing part. Uh, in these mystery boosters at the Magic Fests, there are a series of what are known as playtest cards. These are kind of really off-the-wall, wacky, crazy cards that I think deserve a little bit of a second look. And today, we're going to do a little bit of a mini-set review of some of these playtest cards. Now, we're not going to look at every single card. We're going to look at some that I think deserve a little bit of further attention. Now, when we look at these cards, we're going to break them down. We're going to talk about any kind of references, top-down design elements that they might have, rules, play considerations, how the cards might work, and then we're going to make a determination about these cards. We're going to determine whether or not they should be black border or silver border. Now, Mark Rosewater came out and said all of these cards could work in black border, but today we're going to answer the question of, should they be in black border? So we're going to be doing that here with a series of cards, and I think without any further to do, here in the feature table, we're going to have ourselves our tradition. It is the untapped step. So if you at home have yourself a beer or a drink, we want you to go ahead and open it up together with us here on the count of three. One, two, three. Cheers, friends. The untapped step is done. We're going to go ahead and move to our upkeep, upkeep draw. Cheers, friends. And we're going to start to take a look at some of these cards. So let's go ahead and start. Uh, Jesse, do you want to start us off here with our first card? Uh, yeah, our first card is the Interplanar Bushrag, which I believe is the second Bushrag ever <laughs> printed. There's another Bushrag? I know there, that there is. is a card called Brushwag, and that's just the name of the card, Brushwag. Yes, and it is terrible, and it has very similar art to this. And it I is, believe it is creature-type Brushwag. Yes, it is the only other Brushwag in the set, not counting, you know, uh, your Changelings, changelings yeah. and such. Or Misform Ultimus, for you completionists out there. Also for those who played uh, at least before 8th edition. <laughs> and this card is 3 and a green. It's a cr creature brushrag. Uh, and it has interplanar. This creature enters onto the interplanar battlefield. Players can't control creatures on the interplanar battlefield. It has vigilance and haste. And when a player attacks as a creature with power 4 or greater, card name, meaning interplanar bushrag in this case, um, they were shorthanding for these cards, also attacks that player or planeswalker that creature is attacking, and it is a 6-4. A 6-4 <clears throat> for 4 that you don't actually control when you play it, and then it does something every single time a creature enters the battlefield. This almost kind of feels like a creature enchantment to me. Um, it kind of does, but it's one of the like old school where like, both sides got the advantage. Like your classic uh, Goblin King 
affected both sides. All goblins in play got it. And wizards have since wise up and it's like, well, why am I helping out my opponent? Why do I just have a goblin king that only works for me? He's my goblin king. What's he doing over on the other side of the field? Well, we're going back to those fields, apparently. You know what this is? What is it? It's an NPC. It's Magic's <laughs> first NPC. Oh, it's God. actually awesome. It totally is. It's <laughs> like, literally, it's just like, oh, a third player joining the game. Who's the player? It's the brush bag. I kind of, I don't know why I look at it. It's got so much text on it. And being like a large power creature for four mana, this looks like the NPC version of Questing Beast. I, I, even, I don't even look at this card yeah. and think like it's got Vigilance and Haste. I'm just like, it's a 6-4 that attacks everything. But if you just, I mean, if you just think about it, the design here is actually pretty simple. It's a creature that, that is attacking both of you, and it attacks with whoever is attacking. It's, it's actually a reasonably, it's a reasonably simple design. I think the reason that it, it reads so complex is because you don't have the sort of resonant flavor to tell you why it's doing this. Okay. But I could imagine in a set, like imagine if we went back to Phyrexia, and we had Phyrexians with this mechanic because Phyrexians are the enemy of everybody. Hmm. Ooh. Okay. So I think I think that you could design cards that did this that kind of played up the idea of an adversary against everybody that might be kind of cool. And they always teamed up on the person who's weaker. Because they love attack. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That fits perfectly with like, Phyrexia. Like, so Phyrexia hates weakness and they yeah, will they attack do. it. They're, yeah, they will they're, always, they're exploiting weakness. Mm -hmm. They will yeah. always team up to the strong. I mean, I do like the idea of bringing non-planeswalkers into the idea of going into multiple planes and it kind of makes some level of sense and it's almost like an allusion to the blind eternities in an actual card yeah so i i don't know this card's interesting jesse just looking at this card if you like cast a wrath of god would it be destroyed so i will point out that it does say it's on the interplanar battlefield and wrath of god says destroy all creatures on the battlefield so now we have to determine, do we have a new... Are we adding a new zone to magic? That hasn't happened in quite some time. The last zone we added was the command zone. And that was, like, what, a good eight years ago? So... Oh my gosh, is commander that old? Well, when they restructured the rules, of course. I think it's highly fun. unlikely that they would decide this would be a new zone. I mean, the, I think the way what, it's what worded, the, though. They yeah, would probably call it something else. Or maybe it would be... They'd probably call it something else. But the intuitive interpretation is this is on the battlefield, but we neither of us control it. Right? Okay. I actually just looked it up in Gather right now, and the first ruling says, Objects on the interplanar battlefield are on the battlefield and are known as interplanar permanents. Ooh, interplanar permanents. <laughs> that seems very fancy. So I, I'm assuming then, I guess, a Wrath of God would wipe it out if, if that were a thing. And I guess... That means you could also target it with like a, like a kill spell. Mm -hmm. So I, this card doesn't seem overly oppressive because I feel like if you couldn't target it, then this card really could shape a lot of like plays and and like way the game goes. Well, then you can always take out the four power creature and then they just can't attack with it. Right. So yeah, go on, Jason. Yeah, that's it's interesting. Strategically, there's you know you could maybe build your deck to to better take advantage of this. Presumably, if you're green, you're gonna have more four power creatures but um like it can easily backfire too mm -hmm. i i think i mean this is a very swingy card i don't know that it's gonna play really really unfair it feels it feels like pretty pretty fair you okay know? yeah I, I can see it being fair as well so the question then would be 
What do you think? Is this a black border card, or do you think it should stick with the whole unverse? It would be silver border. Uh, I'm going with silver border. It's just the whole interplanar mechanic is just not something I want to have to deal with as a judge. I think that the idea of a permanent that can't be controlled by anybody is actually kind of interesting. I'm going to go with black border here, but with the caveat that you have to make it match with the flavor. You really have to get a resonant design so you sort of overcome that complexity hump okay. with the intuition of the player. I think if you can if you can do that, you could print this in black border. Are you telling me the small text of swag in the bottom right corner doesn't resonate with you? Oh, well, that part you just got to keep because <laughs> the brush wag is swag. Um, I'm going to say that it's, it's deep and it probably would be a little complex to figure out, but I, I do like the idea of this card being in black border. So I'm gonna move it towards the black border, but uh, while, Jason, you said before that uh, this card is kind of easy to grok and to understand, I think the next card in the list is a little bit more complicated. Oh no, it's super obvious, come on. <laughs> Jay, well, why don't you go ahead and, and uh, read the card out for us, Oh Jason. yeah, well, no, this card is just in a long line of classic iconic magic cards. You got your animate land, you got your regular old animate wall, you got your animate artifact, and now you got your animate spell. It does exactly what you think it would. It's a one blue enchantment, enchant instant or sorcery on the stack, and it has flash, because it would have to in order to be able to target it. When it becomes attached to an instant or sorcery, put that card onto the battlefield under its owner's control. It's a creature in addition to its other types, with power and toughness, each equal to its converted mana cost. When card name, as an animate spell, leaves the battlefield, Enchanted Card's owner sacrifices it unless they cast it. So this card really is exactly what you would expect from a card named Animate Spell. The only kind of weird thing is that it totally doesn't work within the rules, which I'm sure Jesse <laughs> will get into. Yep. And it's a little weird that it goes back to being a spell and then you cast it again. But really, this I feel like this card is just kind of a grand slam. Do you have to pay to cast it again? It I seems don't like know. it, right? Because well, like it says you sacrifice it unless you can cast it right My, fir my first question is, when you cast Animate Spell on the spell, does it counter the spell, or does the spell still resolve? It doesn't really clarify. Neither. Well, no, because it removes it from the stack, Corey. Correct. It puts it from the stack onto the battlefield. Correct. So it does not resolve. Which is Super something intuitive. that's actually happened in a game we've played before. Yeah. No, that was from the battlefield to the stack. No, 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 no! It went from it the was top simultaneously of my, it was, it was on the battlefield on, and on your library, and on my library, and it went from in play to the stack to in play. Correct. <laughs> is this not another Ether just, Vortex? It is. It is. Yeah, it is just the reverse of that. Oh my gosh! Uh, so, I mean, just being probably amongst the three of us here, the least adept in the rules of magic, just looking at this card makes me want to pop a brain aneurysm. I am, it, it's like a spell queller, but way wackier and way more difficult to understand to me. It is very complex. It uses a lot of hand-waving to work, especially since there is a rule in magic that sorcery and instance cannot exist on the battlefield. You know, Jesse, <laughs> rules were made to be broken. <laughs> Jason's basically calling you pessimistic, Jesse. I'm just saying what the rules say. That's what you brought me here for, you know, so... I mean, I, I'm gonna make my determination on this. M Maro made an animate library in the last unset, 
and this is clearly just like that, and I don't want to deal with this in any form of playing Limited or Commanders. I'm calling it Silver Border. You know what this card reminds me of? Living Lore. I don't n remember Living Lore. Um, it's from uh, Cons Block, and I believe they reprinted it in a um one of the modern uh, in one of the Master sets. It's like three and a blue for a Star Star. When it enters play, you can exile a spell from your graveyard. And it has power and toughness equal to that spell. And when it hits a player, oh. you get to cast it for free, but you have to sack the creature. Okay, yeah, I do remember that. Except Living Lore makes sense to me, and this card does not. This card does not make a lot of sense. Although it is an incredibly like incredibly powerful counter spell, since you get rid of one of their powerful spells. But the more powerful the spell you get rid of, the bigger the creature you give them is. I mean, I guess in Legacy, what's the worst that could happen? You get rid of their Force of Will and they get a 5-5. Five five. You could give them a Terminus. <laughs> well, that's a good point too well anyway what do you think Jesse black border or silver border uh, I'm gonna say silver border on this one you just have to like rewrite a lot of rules to make this work sorry Jason look I wasn't gonna say it's black border this card is clearly silver border <laughs> I just love it unanimous silver border as now we move to our next card on the list and to much chagrin I'm gonna be reading this one out this one is known as Banding Sliver. It's three white white, so five mana, creature sliver. It's a three three, and the text on the card says all slivers have banding. You now, can just stop there, Corey. <laughs> well, here's this thing. Well, of course he can. Well, who doesn't know what banding does? No, Jason, here's what happens. Banding has its, its subtext, which I'll read right now. Uh, it says, any creatures with banding and up to one without can block in a band. Bands are blocked at a, as a group. If any creature with banding you control are blocking or being blocked by a creature, you divide that creature's combat damage, now it's controller amongst any of the creatures it's being blocked or is being blocked by. Basically, banding starts with another bit of reminder text that says, take five minutes aside after you cast a creature with banding to explain to your opponent how banding works. So, the simple, too long didn't read of banding is... You decide how combat damage is assigned and dealt for all the creatures attacking and blocking, as opposed to your opponent getting to decide some of that. So it always favors you, it's always good for you if you have banders. That's the easy way to think of it. If you want to get into the nitty gritty of the rules, they get very, very complex very quickly. But then, that, that's how you explain it, but what happens when any spell interacts with this shenanigans? Then all of a sudden, we have to like roll an infinite amount of rules text just to figure out what's going on. Can I just jump on my soapbox briefly? You, sir, have been on your soapbox most of this episode already, so please. No, you were mistaken. I have many different soapboxes, and I've been on a different one each time. Okay, so you were before on Zest, and now you're on your dial soapbox. Go and sure. dial us into your opinion. Exactly. Uh, so I personally feel that banding as a mechanic has a marketing problem. I think the problem with banding is not that the mechanic's too complex. I think that they haven't figured out how to template it. Okay. In game, once you know how it works, it is very intuitive. Okay, like, the fact that Jesse, just a second ago, you definitely explained it in a very layman's terms, because there's, there's a point where the mechanics have to have mechanical resonance, right? And the way this reads to me is not resonant whatsoever and makes me want to go brain squishy. Yep. But I, I get you. I, I see what you're saying. That there's a way that you can make this work that just says you benefit from all combat math in some way, shape, or form. One of the, I think, 
I mean, this is a very early mechanic. It was what in Ice Alpha. Alpha. Unlash uh, Hero. And the the idea behind it, I believe, is like basically your guys all team up and they run into combat, shield wall set up, and they get to decide like how the combat damage happened. Right. Right. The and, basic idea is imagine you have a barbarian and a wizard and they're fighting together and they go in and someone tries to swipe at the wizard, the barbarian steps in and takes the blow. That's banding. It's it's actually it it makes perfect sense. But where you run into problems, and this is why I think they could never reprint the actual mechanic banding as it is, is that the rules to decide what constitutes a band, when creatures are banded together, is very arbitrary. They work differently on attacks and blocks, mm -hmm. which doesn't make sense. Sure. Why is that additional complexity added into the rule? It would make a, it would be a lot cleaner to say that when we form a band, it's the same on attacks and blocks. That would shorten the text too. I think that they could make a mechanic like this, but they'd have to make a new word for it. They'd have, they'd, Phalanx. Sure, they could. I mean, there's a million things they could call it, but uh, I think that the idea of I assign your combat damage to my creatures mm -hmm. is kind of a cool one. Uh, it does also have the problem of leading to very bad games of limited. It is very. It is a very very powerful ability, and anyone who's never actually played with banding just doesn't get how powerful it can be. Well, considering that limited is very much in the attack step compared mm -hmm. to most other formats, yes, this mechanic would be rather absurd, and I would like save it for almost a Modern Horizons 2 kind of thing, where it's a super complex limited format, and learning how these things work is, is more to your benefit than, say, drafting in a core set. I think there's maybe ways you could implement it. One of the problems with banding uh, in limited, the way that it's worded, is that any number of blockers form a band if only one of them has banding. Mm -hmm. And the reason that's a problem is, imagine I have, just simplicity's sake, imagine I have five one ones, and one of them has banding, and you attack with a five five. So I can block all five of my creatures on your guy, and then I, since I get to choose a damage, I can put all five damage on exactly one of them. Right. So this, this, this leads to a situation where basically nobody can ever attack profitably. But imagine now if I said, you only get to band with one other creature. Alright, now your 5-5 can attack, I can block with two 1-1s. And one but, will die. And one will die. But why didn't but, they just block with, with one 1-1? One, one, one. Well, of course. But so, so there, I think the problem is really that like the banding scales on defense in a way that just leads... It, it, it has a really bad effect of incentivizing players to not do anything, which tends to be not very popular. Like, you yes. know, people want to play their cards. People yeah. play a creature, they want to attack with the creature. So it's not very fun when the correct strategy is to stare at your opponent and wait. <laughs> okay, so all of this with Banding Silver on the table, as much as, like, I have no nostalgia at all for the mechanic of Banding, I would be in the same camp saying this could be a Black Border card. Making a mechanic out of a Silver, you know, this is a thing that can happen, but I do agree with you, Jason. They'd have to find a better way to format it, to make it easier to understand, and I would reserve it for a supplemental product, like a Commander, or like maybe a Commander Anthology, if they're gonna do things that aren't just reprints. But I would not want to see it in any limited format that I'd ever want to touch. I will point out, that of like the craziest mechanics they've ever printed, like phasing and banding, and probably two of them. And they've made a commander card with phasing. They have not made a commander card with banding. That's a fair point. Yeah, and Teferi's Protection is definitely one of the top commander cards that is mm -hmm. out there, particularly in whites. So what would you say? Silver or black border, Jesse? I mean this card's perfectly black bordered. 
like Sliver is giving all creatures a keyword ability is perfectly fine. Like there's nothing about this card that it silver bordered. Jason? I was going to say Silver Border, but think about what Jesse says. I guess, technically... I never want just, them to print it in This Black is just Border. clearly already in the rules. It just, yeah, this is... I suppose this is Black Border. It just... It would be bad game design to allow mm -hmm. this to happen. Agreed. Yep, agree. Uh, so, we agree it can be Black Border, but for the love of God, R&D, please don't print this card ever. Yeah, print more Okos instead. Um, I will point out that this card it shows something that is very common in these playtest cards, which is they are assuming a certain type of player are playing with these cards and can actually use them. You need a very enfranchised player to look at this card and be like, oh yeah, that card's insanely good and I'm going to put it in my deck. Whereas like a new player be like, what's banding? And they'll read that reminder text and they'll be like, this card's garbage because the reminder text just does not capture the power of the card. Or, They'll put it in their sliver deck because it's a sliver. <laughs> and everyone will hate them for it. And nobody will have any idea how the game works anymore. <laughs> well, speaking of enfranchised players and cards that I think kind of benefit from memory issues, Jesse, do you want to explain our next... I'm going to put them together as a duo of cards. Uh, that's good. Um, so first we have Growth Charm. One green green for an instant. Choose one. Rampant Growth, Giant Growth, or Regrowth. Of course, the card does not actually explain what any of these do, so if you don't know, you're going to be doing some Googling or uh, gather searching. Or scry-falling. Our other uh, choice is Bone Rattler. Three black black for a creature skeleton, 4-4. Four, four. When Bone Rattler is put in your graveyard from anywhere, exile it. When you do, create four reassembling skeletons, to reassembling skeleton token cards, and put them into your graveyard, which is, again an actual magic card, and you'd have to go look at what that card is. And I really like the design of both these cards, because they're just very, very silly. You can tell how they built the card of, like, especially Growth Charm. It's like, you know what? Green has a lot of cards that say Growth on them. Let's just put them together as a charm, and then you can just play that one. So you trade cost for flexibility on this card, because none of these abilities should cost this much, except possibly Rampant Growth instant speed, which is pretty stupid. Yeah, we're, we're not talking about, like, the strength of it. The, the flexibility is, uh, uh, argument is there, but I guess the question is, how legit would this card actually be? <laughs> you know? Like, can we actually print this and be a thing? So, first, just to clarify, in case anyone doesn't know what these things we're talking about are, Rampant Growth, Giant Growth, Regrowth, and Reassembling Skeleton are all magic cards. They're in print, uh, each of them, I believe, has been reprinted in a couple different sets. They're relatively simple versions of what they do. So um, this kind of plays on, as Jesse said, you had to kind of know what the cards do. But if you do, you know, for Rampant Growth, for example, is search your library for a land, put it onto the battlefield. And it costs one and a green and it's a sorcery. Right, and that's, that's a simple enough card that once you've seen it, you kind of know what it is. Mm -hmm. I can read this growth charm card and immediately know what, what all these things do. So I don't think this is a complexity issue, like whatsoever. I think all the all this like makes a lot of sense. You could print this card by actually writing out the text of each of those cards on the card and it would function perfectly fine. They basically shorthanded it as a in-joke for enfranchised players. I would like to make two 
points that this card kind of highlights. Number one, this card is kind of assuming, I think in some level, that the internet is almost accessible by anybody. And in today's day and age, I think you're like 95 to 5% that's true. And people could easily look these cards up and you would be able to function this card relatively reasonably. Now that doesn't disclude the fact that what if, you know, your phone battery is dead and all of a sudden you don't know what the card is or maybe LGS doesn't have these cards on hand to be able to articulate. Uh, I will say I could see somebody calling Judge, what does my opponent's ramp, what does rampant growth do? It's like, well, it's not in this format, but it's like, well, this card does it. And uh, you have to, like, go explain them to, which I have seen somebody in a, uh, at a PTQ call a judge and say, Judge, what does my card do? Thank you, textless cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the other point that I want to make is that I actually have some affection for these cards uh, because not only is it really great for the enfranchised player, but this card reads to me in one of two ways. Number one, these cards very much read like a Magic Arena card. Like when you play this card, it would pop up and it would put them into their proper zones or as a modal choice. The other thing is, this is territory that other card games have been playing in for years. Eternal, Hearthstone, anything with an online client, they let you make these choices. And the cards function pretty well. And I have to say, I rather enjoy when I've played those games before, a card that functions like this. And I think that a card like this, while it has issues with memory and has issues with you know new players, it's venturing into territory that I think is very healthy for Magic to grow as a game. And I'll point out that all three effects are quite iconic. I know for at least ramping, uh, like, Maybe not Rampant Growth and Regrowth, those are a little outside of like our current things, but like Giant, Giant Growth has been printed so many times. It was just printed in Guilds of Ravnica. There is almost guaranteed that anyone but the newest of players will have seen Giant Growth and know what that does. So I'm going to be a little bit of a devil's advocate here. I too have played Eternal, not Hearthstone, but um, I played Eternal, and Corey's right in that there's a large number of cards in that game that essentially will say, create an X card. And X will be the actual name of the card. And when you when you play something that does this, what happens is the client will create the card and then put it in a certain zone. Sometimes it's your it's your discard pile. Sometimes it's your hand. Um, but I remember when I was first learning or learning Eternal, nobody had explained this to me. I didn't realize that this was the case. I had a few cards that created things, and I didn't realize that what they were creating were other cards that existed in the game. And it was kind of a little light bulb moment when I re when I did realize that when I was looking through collections and it was kind of like oh that that's just like already a card I have this other one that creates that card and I didn't know you know kind of make that connection, but the reason that experience works is because Eternal fills in the knowledge gap for me as a new player. I don't have to know anything outside of what's printed on the card. It be, by nature of being a digital game, it can play in that space. I think trying to make cards like this in paper magic would be really bad. I think that it would it, it, it creates an arbitrary barrier to new players that does not really justify itself. It does it doesn't it isn't it isn't interesting enough for other players I think to justify that. I think you make a good point. However, how often have you read a spoiler for magic and been like this card giant growth the guy? 
discard rampant growth while we you're have... describing the ability of the card. Like you're 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 using shorthands of other cards we know, and yeah, I don't think these cards would see print as they are. But you would probably like if they printed Bone Rattler and it created like a token in a graveyard, which again that's not a thing, but could be if they wanted it to be. You would say it creates a reassembling skeleton. You wouldn't say it creates like what a one-two with one and a black return this creature from the graveyard to the battlefield to tapped. the battlefield tapped. Yeah. You wouldn't say that. You would say it creates a reassembling skeleton, right? Yeah. Um. I think that it's just like what you're essentially saying is we can keyword anything, yeah. and that's true, and we can make a token for anything, and that's true, but. When we choose to do it, it should be justified by what it accomplishes. I feel like they have successfully made modal spells before that work this way, where the text is written out on the card. Mm -hmm. All this really does, by saying choose one rampant growth, giant growth, etc., all it really does is it's a little Easter egg Yes. for enfranchised player. It's yep. cute. I like the card. I don't think you can print it. What if, what if I give you an alternative solution? Uh, Magic has announced as well that they're expanding their pack sizes, especially with the future coming commander draft format where they're going to 20 cards per pack. What if you, when you make a card like this, every time, like it's one card, and instead of like the token card, instead, every time this card comes with it, it comes with like a card that has a modal image of each one of these three cards, like a split card. So every time you get this card in a pack, you also have this card with it. So even newer players can see it, and then it says, when you cast this equivalent card, you get to choose one of these three modes. I will also point out that they've never done this, but they, in this, they actually do mix and match their um, previously printed uh, um, multi-spells, like um, split cards. There are some in this set. So they could theoretically print a card that is just literally Weed Growth on one side, Rampant Growth on the other and just staple that together. There is nothing in the rules that say they can't do that. They just haven't explored that design space. And whether or not they want to is another question. But like, theoretically, you could have a split card that is rampant growth, giant growth, and regrowth. I don't know how that would look. We do kind of have that in the what, when, why, where, how <laughs> spell from- uh, From uh, Unhinged? Un no, Unglued, the original. No, it's it was the second one. It was, it's unhinged. Unhinged. it was from yeah. Unhinged. Yeah. And it's and who, what, when, where, why. Hello. Thank you, Dick Tracy. But who, let's what, go. Where, where, why? Let's, Obviously. But you. But the. I think the point is made there that they they've definitely explored into split kind like card design space where it's more than just two. Um, but let's go to it. Like, is it black border or is it silver border? I I'm gonna go with I want it to be black border, but I want to make sure that Watsi puts into play that allows newer players to also be able to play this card. As an enfranchised player, as an enfranchised player, I say absolutely yes. As a game designer, I say yes with an asterisk. Um, I agree with the yes with an asterisk of just write out the text. Like, if you actually wrote out the text of all three, which would probably push the boundaries of how much you could fit on a card, although I guess Giant Quest is kind of small, but um, the other two are a little bit longer. So, as printed, I don't think this card is uh, black bordered. I think it's silver bordered. I think if you just wrote out the abilities, it's perfectly fine as uh, silver or as black bordered. However, the second card 
putting tokens in the graveyard currently is not a thing, so I'm going to call that card Silver Bordered. But again, you could change the rules if you wanted. So I'm going to go with Silver Bordered on this. Uh, I do agree with Jesse that if we were to write the words out, that it would be fine. But then I just, if we're doing that, I, I don't know why we need to have the names of the cards. I don't know what it really accomplishes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Silver Bordered on this. The next card in line, Jason, do you want to explain the next card that we have here? Sure, it's a card called Lazier Goblin. Uh, it's a 2-1 for one red creature goblin. It has Motivate 3 and a red. This creature can't attack or block unless you have paid its Motivate cost once. Motivate only as a sorcery. When Lazier Goblin enters a battlefield, it deals 2 damage to any target. I mean, this card design seems clean and makes all the sense to me. I read it and I'm like, yeah, I'm here. It's, uh, it's a card with kicker. It's a kicker that you can pay at any time, though. So, like, uh, Monstrous, Fun Theros Block, uh, multiple cards have designs like this where they basically don't really do anything until you do another thing. However, like, it kind of plays as a shock that you just can maybe turn into a creature later. Like, if you had a shock that had flashback to become a 2-1. Although, I guess you could use it as, like, Sacrifice Fodder as well. Yeah. So, uh, Monstrous is definitely the first thing that I think of when I read this. Yeah, absolutely. There are, as I see it, two pretty big differences. The first is that even though Monstrous itself does not have a visual marker, every card with Monstrous puts counters on itself. Yes. So that in most game states, you're going to be able to identify a creature that's been monstrified with an actual die or token or something. That visual reminder is pretty key. And the other thing is that this is a mechanic, the motivate mechanic, is very strange in that it does something without you doing anything until you've turned it off. That is very counterintuitive space. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah, because it does like, have to articulate this. Monstrous works what? the opposite way, right? Monstrous says, here's the card, you read it on its face, it's what it does. Until I do something to it, now it changes. You could say, like, as this enters the battlefield, put a lazy counter on it. Motivate, remove the lazy counter. As long as it has a lazy yes. counter. I think that's, like... That the, would be the way to do this. It yeah. just it becomes a little roundabout because you're, like, putting on the lazy counter, removing the lazy counter, and then you also have the rules text of what does a lazy counter mean. But, I mean, look, yes, you could have it be that way as well. Or you could have it, like put a motivate counter on it as long as it is has a motivate counter it can do stuff so yeah. i i think we can all agree that this card would be it's it's black border just needs a little bit of tweaking with the formatting yeah maybe re, maybe retemplate it yeah but it's it's fine and this brings me to my second point about a lot of these cards is they have a lot of memory issues um like we discussed earlier eternal and hearthstone can do things where like Creatures can change and visually become different, and it's really easy because you can just have the creature card or the card show that within the UI of the program. Whereas in Magic, we don't have a lot of visual things you can change. We have transform cards and um, uh, the Kamigawa block cards, flip, cards, flip yeah. cards that can you can reorientate the card to show something different about them. But for the most part, other than that, we're limited to like plus one, plus one, and negative one, negative one counters. And we don't have a lot of opportunity to show different things about the card. So Jesse, how do you feel about the card Pure Lace? <laughs> That's a Richard Garfield special. You can't knock that uh, one. Jason is describing a card from Alpha, 
And there was a cycle of these, which is, this one costs one white, that's all cost one of their color, and target spell or permanent becomes white. And that is what it says. And the fun thing about this, they even have special rules where if you pure lace a spell, when it comes, if it's a creature or something, a permanent that comes into play, it'll still be white after it resolves. Which is really, really weird. Effects do not usually transfer through zones like that. And this is one of those cards where, yes, memory issues, they learned pretty early on. We don't want to play with those. Plus, these are rares, by the way, kids. So you want to open your pack of Alpha, hoping for something sweet, and you get a Pure Lace. Oh, yeah, they were the pure gunk of the Revised Booster, let me tell you. There were five of them. You had to dodge them just constantly. (laughs) Uh, Bring it back to Lazier Goblin. Um, Two points. Number one, I want this to be called Sunday Goblin. Ooh, Sunday Goblin. Uh, and number two is... This is day off. Yeah, but if, if, for those of you at home... I wasn't um, even supposed to come in today. Uh, good, nice office space reference. Uh, but my question that I have is... Uh, Laser Goblin is clearly sitting on a recliner and watching something on TV. What show is he watching? Oh. The um, Real keep- Housewives of Flarg. <laughs> Keeping up with the Kaladeshians. Oh, oh. oh, that's. I, well, I don't even. The don't one even, follows the other. They're they're, they're yeah, syndicated yeah, right yeah, after yeah. each other. They're, they're on the UPN, the Urza uh, Network. <laughs> I don't even want to try to come up with the fun here. I'm just going to move on to the next card. Uh, that I had to apparently choose the hardest title to read of all of them. Uh, I'm going to say this one is pronounced uh, Sunimuret. Sunimuret? Uh, yeah. Any any configuration of the letter spelled out S-U-N-I-M-R-E-T. It's Which, for the ones playing along at home, this is Terminus written backwards. Yes, it's four colorless and black black. Uh, it says exile all creatures, but wait, kids. It also has a mechanic known as reverse miracle. Uh, black, a single black. With text that says, if this card is on the bottom of your library as you begin searching it, you may cast it by paying its reverse miracle cost. Now, before we get into this, for those of you newer players who did not, like us, have to play through the glories of Limited with Miracles in Avacyn Restored, I can tell you that it was a absolute lack of delight not and to me it wasn't a variance issue of when you drew the first card the problem to me with miracle is the fact that it literally changes the way in which you draw your cards and that was absolutely infuriating to me and it was the biggest tell in the universe when you drew a card held it away from your the rest of your hand and sat there reading it and like look at the board and it's like well my opponent really obviously just drew a miracle. What am I going to do about it? And you really can't. And it's like, there is no way to get around that tell. Because unless you do that with every single card, when you draw it, you had to hold it away from the rest of your cards. You could not let it touch the rest of your cards. If you did, you could no longer miracle it. That was the judge ruling at the time and the standard. And it was just the most awkward thing in existence. And there actually was, strategically, uh, the pro community at that time had a strategy for this. 
every card that you draw at all times in every standard game, you always look at it. It's called the miracle draw. You basically peeled off your library and look at it, and then you either put it in your hand or you reveal it if it's a miracle. Here's the most annoying thing about the miracle draw. If you want to play technically correct, you have to draw this way, even if there are no miracles in your deck, so that your opponents don't know that. Because if I play a mountain and I start drawing my cards normally, you might realize I'm not playing Bonfire of the Damned. I mean, that's the same thing, too, technically with any match of Modern or Legacy Correct. or Vintage. This is a if problem that just keeps getting bigger. If you're playing optimally, you always have to play as though you're playing a Terminus, a Bonfire, or a Temporal Mastery. Like, you have to draw entreat these cards. Entreat the Angels. Entreat the... Yeah, entreat the... It's, it's infuriating. And for that, this card, even though... Like Banning Sliver could 100% be black-bordered, this is going to be 100% strictly a silver border card for me. I have no desire to have this function, but now with searching your library, every time you fetch, you have to play as though you have this card? As no thank you. Especially because like a lot of times when I fetch, I like just pick up my library and like pull it apart. I don't look at the bottom card. So it's like, unless I know it's there for some reason, I'm probably not going to look for my Reverse Miracle every time. And even if you do see it there, you're like, do I want to do this right now? You know, I also got to say, Reverse Miracle, more so than regular Miracle, it lends itself to some really dodgy cheating scenarios. Yeah, if absolutely. somebody is not playing on the up and up, and they know how to do sleight of hand, yep. uh, man, you gotta have some ironclad judge rulings to make sure that shenanigans can't happen. And you know what? It's still gonna happen, and the new players who don't know how to look out for it are gonna get got by it. Yep. So, can we all agree, Silver Border, please, God, please? Yeah, this <laughs> card is an abomination. <laughs> well, that will do it for this episode of Draft and Draft. Thank you, big, big massive thank you to Jesse and Jason for joining me in this conversation topic. We got together on a Sunday and ended up talking for like three hours, just laughing and chuckling at some of these in-jokes that the playtest cards gave to us. It was an absolute ball. So, thanks to them, but know as well, with three hours of content, I've got more episodes on this topic of these really cool playtest booster cards. So we want you to join us here every week as we continue to unravel some of these wonderful stories in and around the game of Magic. And to join us, all you have to do is hit that like, hit that subscribe button, retweet us, repost us, let us know that you had a great time. Also, feel free to find us at Believe.com. Believe.com, home of many great podcasts on sports, lifestyle, entertainment, and of course, Magic the Gathering. And if you want to support us, feel free to swing by our Patreon at Draft and Draft, an MTG podcast. Well, I don't know about you, but I found the bottom of my bottle, which brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you all for tuning in out there, and until next time, go out and brew up some memories of your own. My name is Corey, and thanks for listening to Draft and Draft. We'll see you again next week. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more 
great deals. Save 